Welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Titus, and today I'm joined again by my friend John Presnell for what is our 13th conversation. We are talking about our fifth Brian De Palma film, Scarface. John, how are you? It's great to do this, and it's great to return to De Palma. Well, I'm good. It is great to turn to De Palma. And Scarface, probably his most infamous movie that seems to continue with uh, people's fascination, even though this is 1983. So it's great to be here to talk about it with you. Yeah, it's been more than 35 years since the movie's out, but it's still famous. It's still on everybody's list for important or infamous movies. People still can't quite make up their minds whether it's very savvy or just shocking. But mm-hmm. it is at least now seen as a work of art, no longer simply rejected for its immorality. And it's a pretty impressive achievement. Brian De Palma's directing a script by Oliver Stone, who is also famous for his vision of America. He's not just a guy mm-hmm. telling a story by accident. He tells a story out of a broader vision, and this is their only moment of working together. And indeed, it's a rare moment of artists of such fame working together on a story. And of course, Mm -hmm. Al Pacino, starring as Tony Montana, Scarface, it's a rare meeting of so many talents behind and in front of the camera working so seamlessly. So at least now, when you can look at the reputations of these men and the reputations that were made because of the film, like Michel Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. who was then unknown, or mm-hmm. even Mary Elizabeth oh, Mastrantonio. Oh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio? Yeah. yeah. And also, mm-hmm. you know, famous character actors like Robert Loggia and F. Murray Abraham. Sure. A good assembled cast with greatness at the top that made it a solid piece of art. And now, since we can get past the passions of the moment... It's obviously an unusual work of art. It has a completeness. It has so many different parts that fit that it would be credulous to think that it was merely an accident. It's a good time Mm -hmm. to think about Scarface as a work of art, to think about what it says about America and why De Palma thought that the thing to do is tragedy. You have to show Mm -hmm. something like a meteoric rise and fall in order to explain what's going on in 80s America, what's going on with freedom. Why are people so drug-addled? It's a movie about the cocaine craze Mm -hmm. and all the money it made and all the people it destroyed. It affects everything from families to geopolitics among the American continents. (laughs) And that's all because Mm -hmm. of freedom. People want cocaine. turns out to have massive consequences. So that makes it very interesting. But it also requires an unusual protagonist, somebody who can focus all these levels of the story. Somebody who is both eccentric enough to be interesting and American enough to make sense in the picture, to be plausible. And that's what Al Pacino's Mm -hmm. Tony Montana is. And here you see a beautiful match, as I said, between writer, director and actor. Pacino put himself into the role to the point of getting everything right, down to mannerisms, habits, motions, and of course the accent of uh, Cuban. Sure. And De Palma thinks that in his ordinariness, in his low-class world of crime, just like in his gaudy love of excess, he's an unusual character, never quite in place, never quite at home. And that makes him both a good match for American restlessness, for a kind of progress of being always on the move, but also something more fitting that age of disco music, of disco clubs, of love, of strange aristocratic grandeur, of glamour, Mm -hmm. of more than merely American suburban middle class respectability, combined with incredible violence, with vast amounts of money, and of course with the insanity fueled by cocaine. Yes. 
fits in that world because he himself has insane ambitions. And nevertheless, that makes sense because America is not just normal people living normal lives. It's also the greatest power in world history. And there is a great lack of fit between the power of the nation and the normality of middle class life. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it is possible to have this character come from the low class and become richer than the rich. Be just one guy, but at the same time be a drug lord rivaling the American state for a while. Yes. It's strange, yes. but it's true. And therefore, it can articulate the problem with freedom. What we want, what we do to get it, and what it adds up to. And its importance in popular culture shows that De Palma figured out what was going on at the time in the 80s far better than his critics did. All of that has been forgotten, but mm -hmm. the movie has been remembered because somehow that portrait of excess, tyrannic desire is important for what's going on with us. And it's still important mm -hmm. in strange ways today. But we'll show that going through the plot and focusing on the character of Tony Montana and his relationships. So it's a 1983 movie, kind of a remake here from the 30s Howard Hawks movie, produced at the beginning of the Hayes Code period. A gangster movie ends just as tragically, but we have the character Scarface in that movie at the end kind of repenting and showing remorse, acknowledging the legitimacy of the law and that he somehow had wrongly transgressed that, that he had made this error. You know, De Palma coming at this in 83 so we've already had the 60s and the 70s, and including in cinema, and the demise of the Hayes Code. And so in a way, returning to this question of freedom, but now, you know, even in terms of the literal movie itself, we have no external limits. Yes, there's the new MPA rating code, which De Palma ran into trouble with. This was going to get an X, which would have killed it. And backstory behind this is that the producer, Martin Bregman, was friends with Jack, what's his name, who was the head of the MPAA at that time. De Palma re-edited it. Then they decided to go ahead and give it an R. But the release was actually the unedited version, the original one. And I think this is kind of the point here. He was to reflect upon what life is like now, you know, post-war America, as these kind of restraints seem to be dissolving and going away. And what is freedom now when you don't have a Hayes Code or where you can take whatever rules there are and maybe get around them to where there are no limits to it? This excess is going to become a theme when we look at the rise and fall of Tony Montana. And of course, this, though, is ingeniously rewritten as an immigrant story taken straight from the headlines. We had the 1980 Mariel Boatlift. The movie just begins with actual footage. I think it was up to about 125,000 refugees who fled Cuba. Castro kicks them out. We have a nice footage of Castro saying, we want to get rid of these folks. They can't adapt to the communist revolution. But with this, of course, Castro decided also to empty his jails. And I tried to do a little research on this, and it's a little bit ambiguous, but estimates have it that maybe about 25,000 came from the prisons themselves. Of course, these all would not be political prisoners, say writers, dissidents of the regime. These would also be criminals like Scarface with his scar on his face, which obviously came from some kind of violent crime he was involved in. Castro's going to outsource his criminality to America. And so we see this, and then the opening scene introduces us singularly to Tony as he's being interrogated by the American immigration officials in a room with, of course, Jimmy Carter's picture on the wall. Jimmy Carter's policy, he was always big about human rights. And so this was a big cause to protect the individual rights of people who were oppressed under communism. And so America will open its arms and accept these refugees and provide a home for them a home for the homeless. And Tony, of course, is pretty astute. He's aware of this. He speaks English. 
They ask him how he knows English. Well, when he was a child back in pre-communist Cuba, his father took him to American movies. And he loved, of course, James Cagney and Humphrey Bogart. And so he liked the gangster movies in particular. Perhaps he's learned a certain way of life as well by looking at that story. So of course, Tony's lying throughout this. He says he had never been to prison and he finally has to admit it. He says he tried to exchange dollars from some Canadian tourists and so forth. And this leads to a striking indictment of communism. So here we have Tony as the great anti-communist, right? He says, look, all they have to eat is octopus. It's coming out of my ears. I've got these shoes made in the Soviet Union and my feet are coming through. And most importantly, they try to tell you what to think, how to act, how to feel, right? There's chivados on every corner looking at everything you do and you can't do anything there. The whole island is a prison as Tony sees it. And so he acknowledges Carter and he says, I'm here for my human rights. Your president wants to recognize my rights. Now, of course, the interrogators maybe are not as persuaded by Carter's policy, but they're carrying it out. They're saying, I'm not buying a word this guy's saying. They see a tattoo on his hand, which perhaps signifies they've been seeing this, that this is some kind of group of assassins. But as bureaucrats, I guess they don't have too much discretion. They just have to let Tony in and they send him off to the detention camp. Freedom Town, which is under the overpass highways of I-95. And here we meet Tony and his sidekick, Manny. And of course, there's some other group of guys that came over with Tony, and they're living in the camp, and Manny has some good news. Manny tells Tony, we can get out. All we have to do is assassinate somebody, a political figure from the early days of Castro's regime, who did all kinds of brutal techniques of torture and murder against people. And somebody, a dissident who is an exile in Cuba, anti-communist guy, wants this guy assassinated. And they'll get out of the prison camp, they'll get a green card, and they'll get a job. And Tony's like, let's do it. You know, I'll kill a communist for fun, he says, right? So he gets pleasure out of this violence. And it also shows that he's not lying entirely when he says he hates communism, right? Now, perhaps his notion of freedom is not necessarily what we might see as the American traditions of freedom, but nonetheless, he hates communism and he hates being, as he says, told what to do, think, feel, and so forth. And so this guy, Rabanga, shows up, this old political prisoner, and they assassinate him. And next scene, we see him. Manny and Tony are now working at a food stall across the street from a very fancy club. You know, Tony's washing dishes. He has a good line. He says, I didn't come to America to break my back, right? So at least hard manual labor, this is not going to be the case for Tony. So Manny has some friends and they try to hook him up with the drug deal. At first, they want him to deal in the marijuana trade. And Tony's like, no, that's $500. I'm not a peasant. You know, you know, he definitely has this sense of pride. He hates communism. He's no peasant. He's no baggage handler, right? He's a free man and worthy of respect. And so they go ahead and say, well, okay, well, we've got this other deal. Go make an exchange for some cocaine with some Colombians. And so Tony, give him the money, get the cocaine, and you'll get $5,000. Tony's like, okay, this is better. So then we move over to the cocaine exchange, a famous scene in De Palma, very well, very well set up. It's an incredible scene at a sleazy hotel in Miami. Tony shows up with another guy, Angel. Manny's waiting out in the car. Tony tells him, if I'm not back in 15 minutes, something's gone wrong, so you need to come up there. And sure enough, something's gone wrong. The Colombian says, do you have the money? And Tony says, do you have the cocaine? And the Colombian says, well, I don't have the cocaine on me. Tony says, I don't have the money. Next thing you know, guns get involved. And of course, the famous chainsaw scene. Angel, Angel, his cohort is tied up and is massacred. And Tony has to sit there and look at it with this chainsaw. By the way, you never actually see the chainsaw cutting off any limbs, although you do see blood spilling. But Tony's expression is expressionless. He can look at his friend, be brutally massacred with no expression. 
Now, of course, at this point, it looks like Tony's going to die, but his friends come in. They kill the Colombians, keep the cash, they get the cocaine. And this is such a job well done that they get to meet the head of the cocaine organization, Frank Lopez, a Cuban-American, very wealthy. He's Jewish. He is part of the dissident community. We learn later he owns a Mercedes-Benz dealership. That dealership sponsors Little League teams. But of course, he's also one of the leading figures in the cocaine business. Frank decides to take Tony and Manny under his wing. And so now we begin to see the rise of Tony. At the scene where he meets Frank, of course, we meet Frank's girlfriend. She's never his wife. She's half his age, if that, Michelle Pfeiffer, Elvira Hancock. And as soon as Tony sees her, he's struck. Now, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer is beautiful, but also very skinny and anorexic. And Tony is just struck by her. We know he has ambition to rise up, to make money, to make a name for himself, to be respected as that person who can stand on his own. And now he has this erotic desire to be with Elvira. They begin to make their way up. Frank takes him to the club, introduces him to champagne. The initial scene, the suit Tony is wearing is real cheap. Now he's wearing $500, $600 suits. He's drinking Dom Perignon. Frank likes to spend his money. He's a funny guy. He likes to laugh. He's laughing all the time. He spends his money freely. He has some sense in the community, even though he is this criminal. He says, even the prosecutors. So he obviously is having a problem with laws. He says, even the prosecutor calls me a friend. All I have is friends. Which, of course, Elvira answers and throughout will be this counter response, antithesis to everything that these men say, second guess every claim they make. And she tells them the truth. You know, you think they're your friends. How do you know they're not going to come and kill you? Which, of course, is foreshadowing. And as I said, Tony kind of makes its way up. We begin to see the international movement here. Frank sends Tony and Frank's second-in-command, Omar F. Murray Abraham, to Cochabamba, Bolivia, where they meet a man named Sosa, an aristocrat cocaine producer who can produce hundreds of kilos a month to be sold for millions and millions of dollars. And he wants to get into business vis-a-vis -vis the Colombians. While they're in Bolivia, the deal breaks down. Omar says, well, I got to go back and talk to Frank. But here we already see Tony separating himself. He says, no, 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 no. You know, I can speak for Frank. And Omar says, no, you can't. And so Sosa says, well, Omar, why don't you go home? I'll stay here with Tony. And when you get back, we can make our deal. So Tony sticks back and Sosa has Omar killed because according to Sosa, Omar had previously worked for the police in a deal gone bad in New York. Tony makes the deal with Sosa and he goes back to meet with Frank and Frank is totally pissed off. And not only that Omar has been killed, but that Tony is making these deals without consulting with him. There's no way he can do this. This is going to earn the ire of other cocaine dealers in Miami. You know, Frank wants to be rich. He wants to make money off cocaine, but he wants to keep it just businesslike, to be somewhat moderate, enough money to spend, but lay low. Tony doesn't care about this, and so he's going to go off on his own. And eventually they do separate. Tony, interestingly, goes to visit Elvira, and he proposes marriage to her. And she says, you can't do this. He says, why can't I do this? Whereas Frank had been kind of a father figure, or at least helped him out initially, got him out of Freedom Town, got him a job, got him working up in the business, and now he's making money. Tony's declared his independence, and Frank's going to make a move on him. First, Frank sends the cops on him. They're going to extort money off of him. And then Frank's behind assassination attempt has people kill Tony at the club, Babylon, a disco techno nightclub that has comedy. Richard Belzer's there. Tony realizes that this is Frank that sent the cops on him. He wants to confirm if Frank is the one who was behind the assassination. He does. And he gets Frank to confess inadvertently by planting a phone call. And so Tony has Manny kill Frank. 
And then the cop is there, and the cop says, you can't kill a cop after he gets shot in the belly. And Tony says, well, you were never a cop anyway. But Tony doesn't care about cops. Tony doesn't care about authority, right? He didn't care for Castro. Whatever Castro was trying to establish, he could not adapt, right? He's a criminal, in fact, in a communist regime. And then, of course, he's not going to work at some food stall. He's not going to be second in command to Frank, let alone to Omar. He's now making deals on his own. He's making deals with Sosa. And so he gets rid of Frank. He kills him. And now he has Elvira. This is the midpoint of the movie. Now Tony has established himself. We have a musical montage, Giorgio Moroder's techno new wave disco song, Take It to the Limit or Welcome to the Limit. It says both. It's of the day, it's disposable, but it's made for this movie. And we have this, I guess, typically 80s musical montage that you saw. You'd see him in even things like John Hughes movies. And Tony is making drug deals, he's making money. They have the dollar counters, the $20 counters, and he's making millions of dollars, taking this money to the bank to get it washed. He's opening up front companies. He has a sister. He told us everybody in his family was dead, but it turns out his mama lives in Miami. She got out of Castro's Cuba. Father's missing, maybe was never around, but mama's there and she's been raising his sister, Gina. He hasn't seen him in many years and he goes to see the mama's pious. She has iconography of the Virgin on her wall. She wants nothing to do with him. He has Cubans make a bad name. She's raised Gina to go to community college. She'll get her cosmetology degree. Well, Tony says, forget this. And now that he's independent, he just opens up a beauty parlor for his sister. So he gets married. And of course, that's the achievement. He kills Frank. And now he gets to marry Elvira. He also wants to buy a tiger. So he buys a tiger, has him on a chain. And all of this is shown within this, I don't know, two-minute short clip. And of course, we also see Tony is now making big deals with Sosa, rivaling the other big drug kingpins there in Miami. And sure enough, Tony gets busted. You know, they have a problem of washing their money. The banker, who's more than happy to take their money, wants to raise the rates. And Tony's like, forget this. And so Manny says, I know a guy, and he'll give us a much better rate. But it turns out this other guy is an undercover federal agent. And so they get Tony on money laundering and so forth. And it looks like Tony's going to do prison time. His lawyer says, there's nothing you can do. Tony thinks, look, I'll give you $800,000. Maybe you can buy off the Supreme Court. But remember, you have the trial by jury in the United States. And so his lawyer informs him, you can't just say that you found $1.2 million in the backseat of a cab, right? No jury is going to buy that. And so you're just going to do time. But Sosa, his friend from Bolivia, has an option. So he goes down there to talk to Sosa, and Sosa tells him, look, we've got some problems here. Sosa introduced him to all the kind of the ministry interior of Bolivia, the general. And of course, there's a CIA spook there as well, an American government official who basically doesn't say anything, but we get a few good looks at him. Very wasp-looking character played by Greg Henry. There's a journalist coming out of Bolivia who's going to expose the connections between the Bolivian government and the American government and this illegal drug trade. And so while the Americans are spending all this money to stop the drug trade, somehow also they're enabling it and this corrupt regime in Bolivia. And this journalist is going to expose it to everybody. He's already been on TV. He's going to go to 60 Minutes. He's going to go to the United Nations. He's got interviews on international television, Italy to Japan. And so Sosa says, we need to take this guy out. And so, Tony, if you take him out, you'll save your ass. You won't go to jail. This guy from the American government has guaranteed that they will not press charges against you. And so you can continue on with your business. And so Tony decides he's going to go ahead and do it. They go up to New York, but it goes wrong. While well, the bomb is placed on the bottom of the car, and one of Sosa's henchmen is there, he's about to push the button. But the problem is that this time, the man, as he gets in his car, is with his wife and his two young daughters. And Tony won't have anything to do with that. 
And that's some limit he won't pass, even if it means that Tony will go to jail. So Tony doesn't care about his own self-preservation here. So instead, he shoots the guy in the head who's going to blow him up. And so it looks like Tony's going to go to jail. Elvira has left him. There's a great scene right before he goes to New York where Tony, realizing he's going to jail, he's drunk. He's in this fancy, high-class Miami restaurant. The wealthy, the oligarchs with their superficial taste for luxury are there eating fine food. And Tony's drunk. And he and Elvira get in a fight. And so Elvira just says, I'm leaving you. And that's, by the way, the last we see of her. And she does leave him. And then Tony gives a speech as the rest of the restaurant is just outraged. He gives this soliloquy. I'm the bad man. And for your security, you need me to point the finger at. But I tell the truth, whereas you lie, he says. And he has some sense that things are coming to an end because he says, say goodbye to the bad guy because I'm going to be the last of this type that you ever see. Tony has some sense that there's doom coming. If you could say the montage in the middle is of a climax or height, the whole second half of the movie is of a decline. And so it's after that they go to New York. They don't kill the guy, so he gives his speech at the UN, and he's going to go on to 60 Minutes and everywhere else. And this is not good for Sosa. This is not good for his connections with the Bolivian government. Of course, this will not be good for Tony. He gets back to Miami. Manny, who was supposed to be taking care of the business while Tony was in New York, Manny decides he has fallen in love with Gina, Tony's sister, who, of course, Tony has an intense love and attachment protection for. Doesn't want her to have anything to do with his business, let alone with somebody like Manny or anybody else to be romantically involved with her. But they fall in love. And so Manny and Gina secretly elope. Tony goes to their house. He's shocked to realize that the man that Gina was with was Manny. And so he kills Manny. And then they all go back to Tony's estate. And meanwhile, in revenge, a group of Sosa's henchmen invade his compound and estate. Tony, at this point, is coked up. He is taking coke to extreme levels, laughable levels, incredible amounts of cocaine. He uses his hands to make a line of cocaine to snort it and so forth. He is now using his own stuff. He's become complete ferocity, and these guys attack him. And so Tony is going to have to attack back. His sister gets killed in this attack. And so then now Tony, the last man standing, all of his henchmen have been killed. And now there's 20 Bolivians running around the estate. And so he has this famous final shootout. Interestingly enough, ultimately he goes down by getting shot in the back and he falls over a balcony into a pool, which has the famous statue with one of his catchphrases, the world is yours, the world is mine and everything in it. And the movie ends. So we have this complete collapse. Tony's family's broken up, his drug business is broken up, all of his friends are killed, his sister is killed, he is killed. Everything was for naught. Yeah, there's something about him that's going to doom him, and it's built in from the start. Sure. His rebelliousness is not something that we can fully endorse or support or even live with. Gets to America because we have liberals in America and they're bleeding hearts. And so they extend humanitarian aid and they extend an invitation to refugees. They want the promise of America to be available also to other people than those born into America. And that assumes that America is so great, there's more than enough to go around. Mm -hmm. You can add new Americans and they will be able to enjoy the American life as well. And of course, on the other hand, America has conservatives who are way more interested in work, who take property rights more seriously or the requirements of the American life. How do you make it work? You make it work through work. Tony Montana actually is a really hard worker and devout <laughs> capitalist. Mm -hmm. The problem is that he does not obey laws. 
here there's a big problem. Americans who believe in property rights are stuck with the fact that there's a massive illegal drug trade which has all aspects of capitalism mm -hmm. going for it except two. It's illegal and it destroys vast numbers of people. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? How could you make commerce? How could you make technology obey the law? And on the other hand, how do you make immigrants or other countries that are poorer than America behave themselves in non-criminal ways? Mm -hmm. That's a problem for liberals, but they don't know how either. Mm -hmm. And so the weaknesses of both ideologies or both parties, both factions of American politics are exposed in this man who is an immigrant, legal at that, but on the other hand is all about work and money. Tony Montana, for that reason, is a great example of how American freedom went crazy. It's not just because he's a great believer in vaguely yuppie phrases like work hard, play hard, <laughs> but also because he doesn't take no for an answer. He chases his dreams. Mm -hmm. And that turns out to be a catastrophe waiting to happen. The only reason it's not a catastrophe for everybody is that everybody else does not do this. Tony Montana isn't just like the rest of us in having dreams he wishes came true. He actually gets it done. Mm -hmm. And what makes this a tragedy is that it defies common opinion. We are told both by our liberal and by our conservative friends that bad things happen because of weaknesses or failures. If you're not tolerant or sophisticated enough for the liberal side, or if you're not hardworking enough or dedicated enough to family or what have you on the conservative side. But what if the catastrophe is not coming from weakness, but from strength? Yes. If it's not that you're poor because you don't work hard enough or you're a criminal because you were born in a bad situation, you didn't have family values or church helping you out. But what if it mm -hmm. is because you think you're superior to everybody else and are willing to do horrifying things to prove the point? Mm -hmm. It's some version of American meritocracy. It's some version of benefiting from equality of opportunity, but it's a terrifying one. It's mm -hmm. some version of diversity and inclusiveness, but you wonder, can we really be that diverse? Can we really include these Tony Montanas? And so both sides end up shocked by the fact that instead of moralism, the Palma and Oliver Stone offer us a tragedy. This man really has unusual powers, and although he's a fictional character, he must be invented because he corresponds to a reality. The drug empires, the drug commerce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to say that Steve Jobs was a great commercial genius, industrial aristocrat, but the likes of Tony Montana are simply bad people. Well, they're morally wicked, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they are not incredibly competent, that they do not have excellence going for them. That is exactly why we're so interested in them. And therefore, the character not only speaks to certain realities that commerce outstrips crime, that the diversity mm -hmm. of tolerance or bleeding hearts also lead to massive violence. It also brings up this problem of the soul of man in democratic times. Tony Montana is first an anti-communist and, you know, <laughs> that, what's better than that? He's got the right attitude. People shouldn't be telling you what to do. So, of course, he goes to the land of the free home of the brave because he is one of the brave. Mm -hmm. He's not just an everyday guy. But right away, it turns out that he's a murderer. And this mm -hmm. again brings up another American problem. Do people really change? We're Americans, we want redemption, we want second chances, we want things to get better. Americans don't believe that the Germans are evil because the Germans changed. The Japanese <laughs> are not evil because Japan changed. Mm -hmm. So that's all for the good. Everybody can be redeemed eventually in America, but maybe not. Maybe mm -hmm. there's no redeeming Tony Montana. 
this past as a murderer seems to define him. He's a man. This mm-hmm. is where the difference between capitalism as practiced by Steve Jobs and capitalism as practiced by Tony Montana comes up. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs is not his own man. People could throw him out of the company he started That's or right. what have you. Nobody could do that to Tony Montana except in blood. This ambition is also part of freedom somehow, but it's not mm-hmm. obvious because primarily we think of freedom as something like getting what you want, which primarily means buying things, going to see places, or you know, going through certain schools, getting certain jobs, mm-hmm. fulfilling your dreams. It's not clear why mass murder would be a dream, however. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be because there's always somebody telling you what not to do. There's a conflict of wills that ultimately is a conflict with the authoritative opinion of the government. We need the government to protect us from Tony Montana, but Tony Montana might not obey. What would it take to stop him then? You have not only a low-class criminal making life terrible for people who are poor and miserable, but also somebody who's a real challenge to America. Miami mm-hmm. is America's closest point of contact with the world south of the border, where communism was, like Cuba, where the narco states were, like Bolivia and Colombia, where vast numbers of tyrants tyrannized since mm-hmm. the various Latin American countries liberated themselves from the imperialism of the Spanish mm-hmm. and the Portuguese. That did not lead to good things. North Americans and South Americans all want freedom, and in some sense, all people want similar things to live mm-hmm. a good life. But North and South of the border turn out to be very different places, and the kind of freedom that Tony Montana is interested in is not going to accept the limits of middle class, legally respectable America. That's right. In fact, middle class respectability is really absent from the entire movie. You see maybe some glimpses of it. Tony's mama, while an immigrant, has middle class aspirations for her daughter. Community college, get her certification, go and open up a beauty parlor, get married to a nice young man, and so forth. Frank Lopez, he's a luxury car dealer, so it's a little bit of outside of the reach of middle class, but he also funds Little League teams. He's known in the community to a certain extent, and all of his illegal activities are hidden from view. The only other thing I can think of showing kind of ordinary life in the United States is the background footage of Miami, which is interesting. You see a contrast here. You see youth and old age. Even in the scene outside of the hotel when they meet the Colombians and you have the chainsaw scene and all the violence there, on the street, two things are shown. One, older man walking down the street in a walker. Miami is the place where hardworking middle-class people go to die, right, and die peacefully. And, of course, we see this uh, next door after the attack, all the shock of the people, many of whom are elderly. The other group is we see healthy young bodies, beautiful girls in bikinis showing off their bodies, walking down the beach, flaunting their stuff, arousing the desires of young men. So all the pleasures of the body, sexual pleasures in particular, are on display here. So you have old age, which is beyond that, and just waiting to die. And then you have young immediacy in the present for the pleasures of bodily eroticism. And that's always in the background. But that's it. (laughs) Everything else is Tony and the underworld and the crime and the cocaine and the clubs and the fast cars and the guns and the violence and cocaine. Of course, more of the cocaine than you could imagine. And the money. So it's not a kind of freedom that we can praise, but it is an aspect of freedom. And Tony seems to have this, and he's not going to budge, right? His manliness, which is pretty much all he says he has, his balls, makes him who he is and what he is, and he will not budge from that. You know, I can't imagine Tony going to community college. So the liberal idea of, well, get him an education. He can become a worker. 
Well, Tony didn't come to America to break his back. He's not a peasant. He's not a baggage handler, he tells us, right? But yeah, he also, interestingly enough, while he's struck with Elvira, unlike his cohort Manny, he is not as obsessed with the bikini-clad girls. He fixates his eyes on the city, and the way he's going to go through it is this underworld of the drug crowd. But you're right, we do not see that middle-class respectability. It's true, of course, Steve Jobs was not this great Tony Montana transgressor of laws, including violence and murder. But in a way, you could say their ambition sought to tower over others and to be recognized as greater than others. And also, the way in which they do this introduces things to this middle-class life that may very well undermine it, right? Cocaine, on the one hand, obviously so, is just self-enslavement and self-destruction. But it's a mixed account, let's say, with regard to the gadgets that Steve Jobs bequeathed to us, how it fits in with this middle class, respectability, liberty, the middling element of a free, hardworking citizen whose ambitions stay within the confines of the law and of the code. So Tony Montana is so sure he can go all the way to the top because he has seen what everybody else is like. People are too scared to break the law when it would profit them to do so. People are enslaved to their desires. People will mm -hmm. buy that cocaine and snort it even if it kills them, even if it destroys their families, even if it takes a serious toll on the entire nation. Americans are both very respectable and, on the other hand, because of restlessness, in a way, terrorized. Cocaine is the drug of American achievement. It is the <laughs> Wall Street drug. It's mm -hmm. the stay-up-all-night-and-party drug. It's the fear of missing out drug not just excess, it's about having more energy, doing more things, hoping that you can grab as much happiness before the inevitability of mortality puts a stop to it all. Mm -hmm. And Tony knows that. He also ends up a cokehead. It's mm -hmm. not different with respect to desire and with this desperate search for as much stuff as you can grab before you die, because there's no thereafter. There's no God who's going to judge or reward you. There is no mm -hmm. family that's going to live after you. There's no honor that America is going to bestow on you to make you immortal. You're naked before your mortality. And there's all this stuff you could grab because of capitalism before the inevitable happens. Tony Montana shows that American materialism is a protest against mortality. It is the mm -hmm. fullest use people can imagine of their desires, pleasures, and their ingenuity and thinking powers before necessity reduces them to mere matter. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be a corpse, and people believe that, like the pharaohs of old, the more stuff you put in that tomb, the more different you are from being a mere corpse. And so we buy everything that we possibly can. It's probably not wise, but you can understand why we're tempted this way. Whether we can get everything we can get, like with Amazon, or we can get the newest, most futuristic things, like with Apple. Either way, we get more stuff that maybe will give us enough pleasure before we die. And certainly, like cocaine, it makes us so obsessed with right now what we can get, what we can have, that we forget about later when the inevitable will come. It's a way mm -hmm. of forgetting that we'll die. Our courage as a commercial nation is tied up with a certain desperation. Part of that is natural. We do have to work or else we die sooner than later. We do have mm -hmm. to deal with things. We do have to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and each other. But that also leaves this other desperation aside that is revealed in cocaine. It became a big deal. So many yeah. Americans, rich and poor, enslaved themselves to it. Nobody seemed to be safe. Neither success in America nor failure in America protected people from this desire, from this temptation. 
and it turned out everybody mm-hmm. was much weaker than he seemed or many people were and of course cocaine is not the only drug it's not the only drug craze it's not the only aspect of american life there are as many crazy drugs as there are facets of american life we expect sure. at this point because we cannot control ourselves mm-hmm. the desire to get stuff leads to death Tony realizes that that means everybody else is weaker than him because even though he may share in some of their desires, he is much tougher about acquiring what he wants. He's not going to be the junkie who steals car stereos to get some next hit. He's going to rob as many people as possible and in as much as possible in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. It's shamelessness that sets him apart then and that shamelessness seems to deal with the fact that he also fears death, but he's willing to risk death. Yes. This is what we see from the beginning. He's a murderer. He does political associ- assassinations with no worries, because even though he has no idea what's going to happen, there's no preparation. It's all risk. Mm-hmm. He trusts his own powers because he would rather do that than accept limits. He's mm-hmm. defined by love of victory, by worship of success. We see them in Freedom Town playing basketball. <laughs> There's Tony, Manny, Angel, Chichi, basketball. That's a nice competitive <laughs> sport for men to work off energy and deal with the restlessness. And some are winners and some are losers and all that. But it's not going to cut it. Tony doesn't take no for an answer. So yeah, do the patriotic moral thing. Kill a communist. It was a torture. Yes. It was evil. Surely nowadays everybody would agree that if we're enthusiastic about punching Nazis or punching Antifa communists, yes. then surely everybody believes this. It's the moral thing to do. And that defines the first half of the movie because mostly we see the anger of Tony, that is to say, retaliatory violence, violence that is somehow tied up with fear. The first is revenge. Tony has suffered at the hands of communists, of course he's angry at them and wants retaliation. Mm -hmm. Now he gets a chance to do so and he becomes an American. You become an American by being an anti-communist. There's a lesson for you. Sure. Cold War (laughs) politics. Next, there's this drug deal. He's just there to trade drug for money. He's not trying to do violence to anybody. He doesn't initiate violence. And then this guy murders his friend in front of him with a chainsaw. And there we see Tony's defiance means he's ready to die. He didn't understand yep. the situation, he didn't prepare for it adequately, and now his friend is about to be murdered, but he's willing to face that. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's that smart, it's that he never backs down. But Manny shows up in the nick of time, a bit late because he's again <laughs> chatting some <laughs> babe up, and they fight back, and they kill all these people. And there's your reward. They came in with money, they live with money and drugs. But That's minus right. a friend, Angel is dead. Which, yeah, exactly. That's true. The brutality mm-hmm. of the death of Angel shows you this other side of the matter. Yes. Cocaine symbolizes that brutality. You lose control of your body. There's a strange sense of power, but you don't have to face that thing. Nobody who buys cocaine knows the price of cocaine because the price of cocaine involves murder as well. And of course, one's possible death. That's the sort mm-hmm. of stuff you could learn when it's too late, as it were. But from Tony's point of view, that's fine, because it's another guy who died, and he faced the same risk, and he was about to be murdered too, and he was fearless. He's not a coward, he's not a calculator, he's got nothing to reproach himself. A bunch of men went into a room, not all of them came out alive, he's on top. Love of victory is affirmed, and again, violence is retaliatory, it is honorable, it is noble. A man does not let other men torture or kill him, if he can, he'll kill them back. Right. 
that's Tony's entrance into the world of drug lords. That's what gets him to meet Frank Lopez and become his protege, and in a strange sense, it turns out his heir. There will be mm-hmm. sibling rivalry between Tony and Omar Suarez. There will that's be right. generational rivalry with his symbolic father, Frank. There's the erotic problem. He loves Elvira, but she belongs to his symbolic father, whom he has to mm-hmm. kill to get her. This is not mm-hmm. rare in the De Palma movie. It's what we call Freudian. But <laughs> when you want the same thing that somebody else has, you're going to have to fight it out. Tony learns to imitate Frank until he replaces him. That's right. This is what we say when we say that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. But it can be deadly. Tony is a great imitator. He's a great actor. He learns from others. He comes from the outside, adopts a particular way, certain expressions that you hear others say Tony begins to use later. That movement you were talking about, he's constantly in motion. He both takes on what the other person had and then replaces them. And the thing that allows him to do this is precisely willingness to take risks because he lacks a certain fear of death, right? That's the whole, I suppose, background of Miami with the old people and the youth, right? Both an unwillingness to take risks, which is that softness. And Tony is anything but soft. He calls Frank soft. He already knows that at some point he will replace them. He definitely has a sense of destiny. He tells the interrogators, I always knew I would come to America. And then, you know, Manny says, don't antagonize Frank. You know, we're working for him. He's the boss. And of course, Tony doesn't have any boss. Can't we just be happy? That's what Manny wants, happiness. And Tony says, no, I want what's coming to me. What is inevitable are coming to him, right? Which is the world and everything in it. Here is the most radical or extreme of ambition. So that constant motion as he's making his way to the top. The anger, too, because that can lead him to that risk. Right? He hates the communists. He also hates Omar. You know, in that opening scene, Omar just treats him like trash, right? And he will not be spoken down to. When Elvira says that he just got off some banana boat, he says, no, I am a political refugee. When his mother says, you are a bum and a criminal, giving Cubans a bad name, he says, no, I am working an anti-communist. So in his own mind, he has a sense of nobility, a destiny that he himself will achieve through his own taking of risks. He's not a paradox because he's constantly in motion, right? But there will be some end. Uh, the end that we all share is death, even if he doesn't spell it out. Yes, the love of victory that defines Tony gets him in a way in trouble because he never thinks about what would he have to do to deal with winning. What if you mm-hmm. get the victory you wanted? What then? Mm-hmm love of victory will drive you through the fight. Say you come out on top as you wish. What then? He's not prepared to deal with that, and in a way, yeah, he really is the anti-communist. He lyingly says to the immigration officers, to Elvira, to his mother, these sort of moral authorities that question him. But he's an anti-communist in the sense that he is a capitalist, not in the sense that he's involved in politics or espionage or anything like that. He's not serving his country. He's serving his client, and uh, he is insistent on getting good products, dealing with delivery, taking risks, and providing all these things in a capitalist way. He is, at some level, a merchant, engaged in commerce. He's not abusing his clients, except in the essential sense that selling cocaine is abuse of clients. And that brings up this other side of Mm. desire and therefore of capitalism. What if giving people what they want and are willing and able to pay for is going to get them killed? And maybe get you killed Mm -hmm. too. What then? What if not even the market or liberalism or commerce can make people safe from themselves? Mm -hmm. What if they have desires in their hearts that they're not necessarily willing to acknowledge, but they will act on? The very cocaine market itself 
I mean, the fact that you have such great demand belies the whole middle class orderliness because enough people, while they may not break the law on the way Tony does, are willing to look the other way to snort a line of cocaine or to make a small deal here or there. You know, of course, you have the junkie who will steal the car or the car radio, but you also just have the people at the club who probably have more or less outwardly respectable lives, but who take a little snort here or there. And Tony will provide for it. I mean, he gives the people what they want in terms of commerce, right? But does freedom need limits to a certain extent, if even self-limitation? Uh, and that's a problem because people don't want to be limited that way. You know, even the minor hit of cocaine or whatever it was shows that. Yeah, there is a competition between Tony and his mother. She wants a respectable daughter who will do the unglamorous, uncelebrated, not very rewarding work in a beauty salon. And that should be enough. But what if the girl doesn't think it's enough? Well, there's Tony here waving money around and offering entrance into this world of pleasures and freedom where you can mm -hmm. be sexy, glamorous, where you can take drugs, where you can go to the disco club, enjoy the fact that men admire you desperately, that their desire for you is transparent and gives you a kind of power, it seems. And mm -hmm. this is what she calls he knows how to treat a lady about a guy. Yeah, a, yeah. It is a very vulgar conception, one neither Tony nor his mother would accept or even countenance, but there is a lot to be said for how powerful it is. Democracy is the realm of desire, and it is the reign of desire. We get what mm -hmm. we want as the people and as individuals. The problem comes up, as we noticed with Tony Montana, when there is a meeting between the popular hatred of commandments that forbid of authority and unusual men who are not satisfied with democracy and want to go beyond it. Tony Montana can only be a leader of the people by their desire for cocaine because he's not satisfied with the people in the first place. He can only be a leader of those he despises and harms. Crazy as it is, all of this is done with consent. Now, the government doesn't consent. Mm -hmm. We, the people, as it were, don't consent so far as the laws are concerned. But we, the people, individually do consent, which is how all of this actually gets done. And so we're mm -hmm. divided against ourselves. And this division stems from our freedom and our democracy. What's the point of being a respectable citizen? Because at the end, you end up dead. And that mm -hmm. turns out to be a real problem. Even a lot of respectable citizens do feel the need for some crazy legal thing now and then, which creates these tyrannic souls that start criminal empires. Yeah. There is the dark side of America, and Tony Montana is going to be the best at it. Hand in hand with his retaliatory violence, which is to some extent justified and certainly justified in his eyes, there is also this sense of what is to be desired. He didn't mm -hmm. invent this. He learned it from gangster movies, he says. He learned it from America. Mm -hmm. America educates the world about freedom, but some of that means getting what you want because there are people who have it. He admires Frank Lopez. He admires people who have it better than him, and he takes his purposes from them. But then he mm -hmm. plants them because they become competitors. This is what René Girard calls imitative desire. We desire yes, those yes. things that are desired by people we admire. They seem more superior, so we should be like them. You know, the habits of highly successful people or highly effective people include also these <laughs> luxuries that Frank Lopez enjoys, and mm -hmm. so Tony wants them too. He wants them on a far more vulgar level. He'll never get involved in the community activities, in the respectability. He just wants the luxury, mm -hmm. the glamour, the splendor. He wants to get straight to the pleasure. And it turns out that it's not all that pleasing. 
But while he's climbing through Frank's empire up until he replaces him, there tends to be a justification for his violence because there's opposition and there's still a fight to be fought. As you pointed out, Manny, unlike Tony, he's less daring, he's less savvy, but he's also more normal. He's trying Mm -hmm. to live a normal life. He would want to not go too far. He's trying to be more reasonable. He's a better fit for America. And Mm -hmm. he does stare too much at the ladies, but that keeps him sane when it comes to things like don't dedicate your life to murder and the destruction of large numbers of other people you've never met. It's helpful to have natural pleasures holding you back. That sense, the very significant thing about the film is that only Frank likes eating. The pleasures of the table calm you down, and they're more private. These other pleasures, sex and cocaine in the movie, drive people crazy and then drive an entire society crazy, and they drive Tony Montana crazy as well, because he has no self-knowledge. That has to do with what he sees in Miami. He looks at America from the bottom because he's a poor criminal. And America seen from the bottom is a very greedy, materialistic place. Mm -hmm. It also reveals its softness, and therefore it could be easily won. Hence the reduction of America to desire and of desire to sex that defines Tony Montana's analysis of the regime. And Mm -hmm. that's why he thinks he can win. He's not thinking about fighting the American army or the FBI. He's thinking about how weak, respectable Americans are faced with their desires. And therefore, Mm -hmm. he could win. He thinks of the city as all about desire and therefore to be had. That speaks to his manliness. This is the distinction between lover and beloved. He has learned that being a lover is suicidal. If you're a lover of cocaine, you'll die. Mm -hmm. If you love some woman, you'll do anything for her. And that may be great for her, but what does it do for you? He wants everybody else to love him, which is why he doesn't just sell cocaine. He also wants to be stylish. He also wants to have luxury. His fake businesses are built like Las Vegas fake Greek temples. And his estate (laughs) is a copy of a Latin American estate that is a copy of a Mediterranean villa or Mm -hmm. Roman Mm -hmm. estate. Because Mm -hmm. there's all that splendor in there. And this takes no learning is what's important. What he says is, in America, first you get the money. After you get money, you get power. And after you get power, you get women. And that affirms Tony's understanding of the difference between men and women. That is just a perversion of the respectable attitude. Respectable people say that they would like their daughter to marry a lawyer or a doctor. Well, that means that first of all, you have to get the money by being that lawyer or doctor. And then you get the reputation and then you get a good wife. Tony you know, Montana his... is calculated, but... doesn't have to stare at this hot babe in front of him because he's staring at the future and he thinks that if he accumulates certain things, then he doesn't have to be a lover. He can be a beloved. He doesn't want to love women simply. He wants to get the women to love him for his money and mm-hmm. power. He's not going to be run by his desires. Everybody else is going to be run by their desires. That's right. He tells Elvira now, this is the scene where he first proposes her marriage. He says he knows he's from the gutter. So not just the view from below, but the gutter. And then he says, you know, I've had no education. So Frank's had education. Elvira's had education. Most of America's had this education. That education is a way of trying to fit you within the norms and the laws, the authoritative opinions of the regime. But he says he knows the street. So his education was the street. He's making connections. He says he needs a woman. It's made obvious that Elvira, her body, 
coming down the escalator surely has ignited desire in him. But of course, he also knows that that's kind of what makes him weak or subordinate to the object of his desire. And so in a way, he wants to overcome that, but he needs to possess her. He needs to consume her in a way, just like I suppose someone would consume cocaine. But he's smart enough to know to not at least initially treat her that way or speak to her that way. But notice that skipping of the education, that's the straight from the bottom to the top that's in part what accounts for the vulgarity of this movie and its bad taste. Tony doesn't eat. He does not have taste. The things he desires at the top are taken from those at the top, right? He mimetically desires, right? It's their desire that fosters his desire. Sosa's grand luxuriousness in Bolivia is now obviously superior to Frank's Miami operation. And then, of course, the whole idea of the world and everything in it, because once that's his, there's nothing beyond for him to desire, and he can become the beloved, a god or the perfect man that everybody fears and loves, and there's nothing surpassing beyond him once he's on top of that. Uh, is he fully aware of this? He sees this as a kind of a destiny that motion of imitating others and then replacing them. And of course, ultimately, he'll come to question this. Is that all there is? But when he overcomes his own desire, then he really doesn't have anything to do anymore. And it quickly leads to his death. Maybe what he desired all along was his own death. And so even when he does things that seem to be the right thing, he's not going to kill the family, the, the journalist, his wife and his children in the car, not going to blow him up. You might say that the ordinary citizen might be willing to sacrifice a child to preserve their own self. Tony's not going to kill the child. And in fact, that leads to his demise. Yeah, somebody who does not accept limits at the beginning is not going to accept them at the end. Tragedy teaches us that people don't change as much as their circumstances change. That's a harsh lesson. If it at least looks plausible that character is something like destiny, then that puts a big dent in the democratic view of freedom. This is why people are both attracted to and scared by such mm -hmm. stories. They make terrible promises and they exact a terrible vengeance for those who believe in those promises. This sort of storytelling suggests that in a way we're all guilty. We have dark desires, like the people who go to the club and do cocaine, that we don't want to acknowledge. But if we were tempted, therefore the suffering of the movie and the misery is deserved and maybe even a necessary punishment. Mm -hmm. People have to get it out of their heads. You could call that nicely purification, that is the cleansing or purging that the tragedy mm -hmm. affects, but that may be too moralistic a way of looking at things. What's obvious is that, to a large extent, Tony Montana takes his views of things from the common view of things. Mm -hmm. Like in The Godfather with Michael, here Tony Montana wants a waspy, upper-class blonde for a mate. <laughs> Manny is satisfied with a Cuban girl like him. He's low class, she's low class. No, she's better than him because she's not a criminal. But on the other hand, if you're a criminal, then in a way you're a man, so that's an advantage. Mm -hmm. But not Frank or Tony, or as I said, Michael Corleone. They want a blonde, waspy, vaguely aristocratic woman because of the sophistication. Her last name is of Hancock. The... Of exactly, all names, Elvira right. yeah. Hancock. Yeah. How 19th yeah. century is that? Yeah. <laughs> and she has an education and she is sophisticated and she says intelligent mm -hmm. things, she dresses yes. well, she criticizes vulgar cars, wants modish mm -hmm. stuff. And he admires that glamour because it's superior to him, because it belongs to the superior classes he wants to replace. He's never going to behave that way himself. He's a vulgarian through and through. He somehow admires that. Why? I mean, for the same reason people in a democracy like what they call cool. Jimmy Dean was cool or things like mm -hmm. that. 
affecting boredom or indifference. Manny and Tony learned their lessons the simple way. Watch, see who is looking at whom. Mm -hmm. Who is looking is desirous, envious maybe, needy. Mm -hmm. Who is not Mm -hmm. looking is confident, calm, self-complete in a way. Manny sees that people desire each other women in America put themselves on show and that gives him the notion that he can go and propose sex to a woman and she'll accept him. It turns out it's not that simple. You get slapped (laughs) instead. Tony has noticed the other part of America, that people look up to the rich, to the celebrities, to the people who have power, and that that counts a lot. So he decided that's what he has to do. He has to replace those people at the top and then people will look up to him. He has the disadvantage that he was born poor and he's not handsome either. He doesn't have what people nowadays call social skills, talent peddling, (laughs) conversation. So how is he going to do it? He's going to do it the American way, through hard work to get money and then you get what you want. Mm -hmm. So he learned from other people these ideas because money is even better than cocaine as a symbol of desire because you can get anything Mm -hmm. with money. Cocaine makes you think you're capable of anything, but money makes you think you can buy and have anything. And in a way, Mm -hmm. whenever. If you start eating, soon your stomach will be full and then it starts hurting you. There's a natural limit to your pleasure that you could learn to hate, that you could learn to resent. Mm -hmm. But if you keep getting money, being successful in business, there doesn't seem to be any limit to that. Except all the value in the world, which is what he wants. There's no other. Mm -hmm. He is not in this sense different from everybody else. He's a murderer who's willing to risk his death fearlessly, but he's oriented by desire in the exact same way as everybody else, which is why in a way he feels at home in America. Mm -hmm. In America, people say openly, you should chase your dreams, you should follow your fantasy. Now, there is a moral Mm -hmm. understanding that there are asterisks there, but the asterisks are never in plain sight. Like many Mm -hmm. things, women who go around almost naked surely want to have sex. And he gets yeah. slapped for his shamelessness. Also, Tony thinks that the society that it's so materialistic, consumes so much stuff, including dangerous drugs, surely what they want is somebody like Tony to give them all this mm-hmm. stuff. This is the end of part one of our discussion about Scarface. How freedom makes us the same and how our desires may nevertheless lead to competition and eventually tyranny. In part two, we will discuss violence as a source of individualism, Scarface's fate, and political philosophy.